Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Riverside Online. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us. It's so encouraging that so many of you are still choosing to do church at home with Riverside Online. If this is your first time that you're joining us online, we'd love to connect with you personally. So please use our Connect With Us link on the website so that we can be in touch with you. We look forward to the day where we can do communion in person. But for now, we are still able to take part together in our homes. So make sure that you have your elements ready to join us. Hey everyone and a very warm welcome from a very chilly Johannesburg. Now, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I used to see the Sermon on the Mount through very nostalgic lenses, this kind of nice, quaint teaching of Jesus. And yet, I'm sure you've experienced that Jesus' words have been anything but quaint. They have been extremely challenging. And if I'm honest with you, they've been challenging to preach, and they've been, I'm sure, challenging to hear, and challenging for me to put into my life and my faith. And today is going to be no different which is actually a good thing. You see, the time of isolation and quarantine has been very challenging itself for a number of reasons. But in many ways, it's been kind of stripping away so many of what we think is normal and so many of our dependencies. And I think in the same way, the Sermon in the Mount is doing the same thing. It's challenging so many of the external dependencies we have in our faith. And it's trying to get us to come to terms with the heart of our faith. I think it's asking questions like, is faith just something that you do when it's convenient and when it's easy to do? Or do you realize just how life-giving and life-transforming it actually is? And yet, do you realize just how challenging it is so that we come before God's word and we need to be changed and transformed from the inside out? Now, I know it is so easy for you to read ahead and see what the coming sermon is and just switch off the TV. I mean, you don't even have to get up and walk out of church with people wondering where you're going. But I want to encourage you today again to be courageous and let God speak to you. Now, there's no doubt that this pandemic has really caused many people to be concerned about their health. But I think one place that the coronavirus has impacted more of us is not so much our health, but our pockets. I've spoken to people who have had much and I've spoken to people who have had less. And yet everyone is feeling the challenge of today. Now, I really do pray that the economy is able to recover and take us all into easier times. And today's message would be so much easier to preach and to hear in easier times. You see, Jesus is going to speak to us about being generous, specifically being generous towards those who are in need. Now, if we were in easier times, yes, by all means, I've got tons of margin and therefore, yes, let's be generous. But what do we do when we are in tough times? Aren't those the moments when I need to be looking after myself? And so recognizing all of this, I believe that God still wants to speak to every single one of us and call us out to live the kinds of lives that stand out, which is why we're calling this series Live Upside Down. 
And one last thing before I dive into the message, I also want to recognize just how the events of the last few weeks in the world have exposed so much pain and so much suffering for so many people. And yes, have caused a flood of emotions and response. Now, today's sermon is by no means trying to speak into that and trying to create a response to that. However, I do believe that God has part of the answer here today. So let's allow him to speak. And we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. So let's read together. Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus talks about works of righteousness. And just a bit of a heads up, over the next few weeks, Jesus is going to be speaking about being generous to the needy. He's going to speak about prayer and he's going to be speak about fasting. And he calls all of these works of righteousness. Now, just to be clear, these are not things we do to become Christians. These are things we do because we are Christians. We have understood what Christ has done for us and he has given us a new way of living as much as he has given us new life. And so Jesus calls these outward outcomes, he calls them acts of righteousness. Now I want you to notice that when Jesus goes through all of these, he's not going to say, well, if you do these things. He's assuming we are doing these things. He's saying, when you do these things, here are some things to keep in mind. So in this particular case, Jesus is saying, when you are giving to the needy, when you are being generous, which is already an incredible challenge to so many of us. But in particular today, he wants to speak to us about why. Why are you being generous? What is ultimately motivating you? And he starts off by showing us that many people, the challenge for them is the reason they are generous is to be seen by men or to be honored by people. And so in this particular case, he talks about people who come to the synagogue with a big fanfare and stand on the corner of the streets for everyone to see them. Now, Now, maybe that's not how we get seen by men today. Maybe the way we do it today is with a Facebook update or with a selfie or or a carefully crafted video to show just how generous I'm being or just kind of casually dropping it into a conversation so that when people walk away, they, they just go, oh, wow, you know, Steve and Bianca, you know, they are so generous and we feel so good about how people see us. Jesus says when we do that, he calls us hypocrites. Now, in Jesus' time, hypocrites was a very distinct word that was referring to these Greek play actors that used to go around wearing different masks as they played different roles. And Jesus says, well, here's the problem. If you do the right things 
for the wrong reasons, it's like you're wearing a mask of righteousness and you deceive others. So others see the mask. Even you can be blind to your own self-righteousness and blind to the real problems that are within you. And so using this word picture, Jesus describes these kinds of people as hypocrites. And so he's saying, if when you're being generous, the main reason you're giving is not out of love for God and love for others, but the main motive is that you want to be seen by others, Jesus says, then you're a hypocrite. And then others are. Others are going to notice you. Others are going to give you a round of applause. Others are going to give you a thumbs up. And Jesus says, listen, and when that happens, then great, you've received your reward in full, but you do not receive a reward from your Father in heaven. He says, rather, on the other hand, when you give, you're going to do it in a different way. And so maybe no one sees. And so maybe no one notices. And maybe there is not a Facebook update. And maybe there is no photo or video for tons of people to like, for people to follow you on social media because of what they've seen in you. Maybe no one's going to walk away saying, oh, you know, Stephen Bianco is so generous. But Jesus says there is someone who sees what is done in secret. And it is your Father in heaven. The, the, the only opinion that really matters sees what is going on in your life and he will reward you. I was reading recently about Charles Spurgeon. And if, if you've never heard about Charles Spurgeon, he was a famous British preacher in the 1800s. And normally when we talk about Charles Spurgeon or if we quote Charles Spurgeon, it's some theological or this uh, insight that he's got or, or just a wise way with words that have come from one of his sermons. But in this particular case, the Spurgeons, him and his wife, they had some chickens and they had some excess eggs. And so they used to sell off their eggs. But here's the thing, if, if any of their close friends or even if their family asked for eggs, they never used to give them away. In fact, they always used to sell them to the point where some people around them used to say, oh, you know, those Spurgeons, you know, they're selfish and they're really miserly. After they both died, the truth came out. And the truth was this, that the Spurgeons used to take all of their proceeds from the sale of these eggs and they were helping and supporting two elderly widows. And because they didn't want their right hand to know what their left hand was doing, and because they didn't want to do this for the honor of men, I mean, they were willing to be mocked and they were willing to be understood. But they were also willing to be seen and known by their Father in heaven. And right now, they are receiving their reward in full. Now, this got me thinking about a passage that we've already looked at throughout the sermon series that seems to almost say something a bit different to what we were looking at today. In fact, right at the beginning of the series, and if you look in your Bible in Matthew chapter 5, there's a little section called Salt and Light. Craig Wilcock actually preached on that section. And there's this verse there that says in verse 16, it says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so that passage seems to say, well, let the world see your good deeds. Let the world see your generosity. Let the world notice your love and give praise to the Father in heaven. And yet the passage that we're looking at today in Matthew chapter 6 says, no, 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 we need to do our righteous deeds in private. So which is it? Do we let the world see what we're doing? Or do we do it away from the world's eyes? And do we do it in private? 
Now, I think the biggest difference comes out actually so clearly in these verses. You see, in chapter 5, Jesus says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. Whereas the verses we looked at today says, Just make sure that your motives aren't to be seen and honored by men. So Matthew chapter 5 is saying, listen, the world needs to look on and see our love and see our good deeds and see our heart for the world. And through that, see a good, loving, gracious God. Or Matthew chapter 6 is saying, listen, be careful for a world that watches on and see someone that is looking for the limelight and the glory and the honor themselves. And so like with so many of these sections, our motives and our heart matters so deeply. Now, I want to take this opportunity to say that so many of you through the time of the coronavirus have been so generous and have been so sacrificially generous just to help the ministry of the church continue, just to help some of the new initiatives that we've got. I mean, we've been able to support many people in need in the life of our church, and we've been able to meet so many needs out there in the community around us. And we've had an incredible leadership team and an incredible branch out team that have really uh, um, taken responsibility for this. And I'm so grateful for the role that you've played and that we've all played in this. And here's the thing. I, I want people to know about that. I want these good deeds to shine brightly. We've got a very dark, disillusioned world. And we've got some incredible needs around us. And I do want the world to see God's heart and God's love through us as Riverside Community Church. And yet Jesus is challenging us as individuals and even us as a church. But why? Why do we want people to see are we truly doing this because we want to serve other people? Or are we doing this because we want to be seen and we want the glory and the honor? Now, there's something else that comes out of these verses. In verse 4, it says here, Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, why is that word reward in there? Why are they bringing this concept of reward in there? I mean, surely God doesn't want us to work for rewards. Surely God wants us to do this out of the goodness of our own hearts. And so, understandably, some people get concerned that, man, we just need to do this out of the goodness of our own hearts because they worry that maybe my motives will equally be wrong if I do this because God's going to reward me. Maybe I'm not doing it for the rewards of men, but I'm doing it for God's reward. Now, the Bible speaks so regularly about rewards, and I, and I think the Bible wants us to understand rewards. And so maybe it's not just about, am I doing this with absolutely pure motives? Or on the other hand, am I doing this for rewards? Maybe the better way to see it is, I am doing this for the kind of God that rewards. This tells me about the kind of God who has served me and the kind of God who's calling me to serve others. And he's the kind of God that rewards. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward him for what he has done. And so, yes, when we are generous and when we help the poor, we are ultimately serving the Lord. And he will reward us because he is that kind of God. 
I know that this is true with my kids. I mean, sometimes we need to bribe them to do some chores and some things around the house. We, we call it pocket money. But basically, if you do this and this and this, I'm going to give you and reward you with a set amount of money. And I'm, I'm totally happy to do that. It, it grows responsibility in them. However, sometimes my wife and I might look out the window or we might hear something happening next door or we might hear about just how they were spontaneously kind and spontaneously helpful and for no goal of getting a reward they they did some great service or they did a work around the house or they served someone in the family and while they didn't do it for the reward man as a parent there's something in us that wants to pick them up and just love on them and I want to richly reward them for it and I think that's something of God's heart for us as we do the same thing Now, does the fact that times are so hard mean I I don't really need to put these verses into practice at the moment? I can kind of bank them for a time when there's more. And I don't know if that's the case. I want to tell you a story that comes out of the New Testament. It's a story about a church that was going through some incredibly challenging times. And yes, I I want you to see their hearts. So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So the author Paul, he is writing to a church, the church of Corinth, but he's going to tell them a story about another church. And so in verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. And so as we tell the story in verse 1, we see that the main storyline is not about the Macedonian church. The main storyline is about God's grace. And so Paul doesn't start off with the vision. He doesn't start off with the budget. He doesn't start off with the needs. He starts off with a God who graciously gives grace to his people. You see, this is how it works. God gives to you in order to give through you. God gives to you in order to give through you. That's what he did here. And that's what he constantly does. God abounds grace to us and we receive goodness. And then that goodness gets sent to the world around us as we obey him in love and service. And so verse two says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, in this short little verse, there are four words that usually don't go together. The words trial, joy, poverty, and generosity. In fact, let's add in the adjectives. Severe trial, overflowing joy, extreme poverty, and rich generosity. And maybe that makes no sense to you. And that's the point. You see, the point is, according to how our flesh normally works according to how the world normally works these four words should not go together but when we do see them go together we start wondering well what's going on here and that's where we start recognizing that God is doing something that God is causing grace to abound to us that God is causing a transformation in my heart and yes I may be in very difficult circumstances but that still means that there can be joy and that still means that there can be generosity So verse 3 says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their own ability. So, So here's this church in trial and difficulty and loss. 
And yet they are so generous and they're giving even beyond their means. And some of you might say, but that's not wise, you're right. Shouldn't they be looking after themselves for a while? Well, let's read on and see their heart here. So it says here, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Now here at Riverside Community Church, we've got an incredible finance team and we've got an incredible leadership team and we've got an incredible church who are so generous. Here's the thing, we are so encouraged by your generosity and by how people have been willing to give beyond their means in order to support the work of the ministry and the many things that are being done through Riverside Community Church. However, this verse talks about a problem that most churches wish they had. All right, where people are knocking on the door, pleading, man, ah, ah, let me be involved, let me give, let me support, let me come in beyond what I'm actually able to, and let me please be part of this ministry by contributing and supporting it in this way. As we read on, it says here, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. You see, in times of difficulty and trial, so often our instinct is to take our eyes off God. And Paul points towards this church that even in trial, their priority was God's work. And because their priority was on a God who is far bigger than their circumstances, they were still able to have such joy and such generosity, even in such difficult times. So in verse 6 and 7, so we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But listen to verse 7. But just as you, now speaking to this church, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And so Paul's doing something very interesting by telling this story. He is very unashamedly wanting to challenge this particular church on their generosity. He's saying, listen, guys, there are so many things you're doing well, but but here's an area you need to grow. And in order to challenge them, he tells them about another church. And so very unashamedly, he's playing the comparison game. He's saying, look at this church who are in even more difficult situation than you. And yet look how generous they're being. And so just as they excelled in the gift of giving, so I want to encourage you to excel in the gift of giving. And as I read these verses, the thought came to me, imagine Riverside Community Church could be like the Macedonian church. Imagine pastors could stand up and say, listen church, I want to challenge you on generosity. But in order to do that, let me tell you about a church around the corner called Riverside Community Church. And yes, they were going through difficult times. And yes, circumstances were tough. But I want to point to their joy. I want to point to their love. I want to point to their earnestness. And I want to point towards their generosity as they begged to be involved in the kingdom of God and supporting the kingdom of God in this way. What a challenge that is. So Paul says in verse 8, I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And so Paul is saying, and I'm saying, no one's making you do this. We're not trying to manipulate anyone and cause anyone to give because they went on a guilt trip. Rather, let God's word challenge your heart, your earnestness, and your love. 
Now, just before we go to the final verse in this section, I think it's so apt that today we are going to be doing communion together. Now, just just notice how Paul is trying to motivate their generosity. He starts off by telling them about a generous church. In 9 verse 9, he's going to tell them about a generous God. And so in in verse 9, he gets to the heart of the gospel where he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's what I fundamentally believe. I fundamentally believe that generosity happens when we generously fall in love with a generous God. When we understand how good God has been to us in Jesus Christ, how much God has poured himself up, how much God has blessed us in Christ, how much he has given of himself to us and gives of himself to us. When we see what a rich God he has been to us, then we are going to generously fall in love with him. Meaning we're not going to shove him into the bottom drawer in this kind of compartmentalization way of doing faith. No, rather, I'm going to give all of my heart. I'm going to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, and mind. And I'm going to love the world the same way that he loved me. And so as I get his generosity, I fall in love with him generously. And my generosity towards the world is going to automatically come out. And so we see here that generosity is not kind of an optional menu item in the Christian faith. Rather, Paul shows it is a central gospel issue when we get how god gave his son what he did for us on the cross and what he has given us in the risen jesus christ in salvation generosity is a gospel core central issue and so we're going to spend some time together in our homes taking communion and we're going to allow ourselves to focus on these things. So if you haven't already got your communion items ready, please want you press pause and then let's join in together. We've just heard about how Christ, though he was rich, for your sakes became poor so that you, through his poverty, may become rich. And the way he did this is the gospel was by entering our broken world by entering our sin and becoming sin. So as we look at the bread, we recognize how Jesus allowed his body to be broken by sin for you. So let us eat together. We also see how on the cross his blood was spilt for us. And this is the grape juice or the wine that represents his blood spilt for us. So let us drink together. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you entered our world, you entered our sin and you entered our brokenness. You let the comforts of heaven to come into our world in order that we who are poor in our brokenness, that we who are poor in our sin, 
that we who are poor in our pain and our suffering might become rich. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us abundantly in Christ. We thank you that you continue to bless us abundantly in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to cause grace to abound towards us so that grace that comes to us might go through us into the lives of those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. How about sharing the link to the message with your family and friends? We'd love for you to engage with us on our social media platforms or on the app.